Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. GM indeed. Welcome back. Happy Sunday. No big intro needed, no fanfare needed. It's another bonus episode. It's an AMA episode. Loyal listeners will have heard the one we did with Neil Stevenson recently, the Snow Crash author. He hopped into our Telegram room, answered listener questions. Now we're back with another with Friederike Ernst. She is the co-founder and COO of Gnosis, and she was on the podcast, a full-length episode on March 22. Recently, she hopped into our Telegram room. I hope you're in there if you're listening to this. And she answered listener questions. So this is how, for now, we're choosing to share these answers, make sure everyone hears them, gets all the alpha. And sometimes it's great because we get to ask stuff that slipped our minds or that we didn't get to squeeze in in the full-length episode. And that's some of what we did with Friederica in this AMA. So without further ado, we will share some of those answers for you. Again, uh, we hope to keep doing this if guests are willing. We do it a week or so after the person comes on the full-length GM podcast. We have them jump into our Telegram room. You can ask questions and get them answered by the guest. You just have to join the Telegram room, and the URL is t.me slash GM podcast. So that's t period me slash GM podcast. So here was Friederica Ernst of Gnosis. Of course, if you're a true DeFi degen, you know Gnosis. It's been around since almost the very beginning. It's a crypto OG now. And it's a lot of things. It started out as a decentralized predictions market on Ethereum. Now it's a DAO. It's a multi-sig wallet. It's a staking chain. And so uh, let's get the ball rolling with the first question that Friederica was asked in this AMA we did. Stacy, Stacy Elliott said, here's one we didn't have time for on the pod. What have been some of the biggest or perhaps unexpected lessons from the merge that Gnosis underwent in December? And of course, the merge she's referring to is that Gnosis did its own sort of version of the Ethereum merge. It merged to proof of stake. It merged its execution layer, which was formerly called XDAI, with the Gnosis beacon chain. So here's what Friederica said. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so what, what surprised me most about the merger was actually, actually happened before the merger. So basically, we went from zero to 100,000 validators in a year. And I found it surprising how many people actually just are in it for the tech who find it cool that they can actually run a node at home with very small capital requirements um, and uh, just do it because they love tinkering with stuff and they love making stuff work. And um, yeah, it's the tinkerers and the makers that kind of keep the network running. And I love that. Okay. And as I mentioned, Gnosis got its start as a decentralized prediction market. Andrew asked, it would be definitely interesting to hear more about the future of prediction markets. Here's what Friederica said. Yeah, future of prediction markets. And prediction markets will definitely come, I believe. Not so much in the form that we originally envisaged them as, namely with um, an underlying 
um, of some sort of fiat currency um, because that makes it inherently a zero-sum game. So you make money, someone else loses money. And those markets typically don't scale with the notable exception of insurances. And there basically someone is insuring um, something that they rely on. I mean, for instance, so you get fire insurance for your house, despite the fact that your expected payout is less than you put in just to insure yourself against a an outsized loss. Um, but basically almost everyone who buys fire insurance obviously makes a loss. And overall, everyone who buys fire insurance economically takes a hit. But basically insurances aside, most markets that kind of truly balloon, they are non-zero sum. So basically if you invest in the stock market, even if you invest in um, some sort of portfolio um, say S&P 500 or something that basically has every, every single stock in the S&P 500 in it, you still expect to kind of turn a profit if you stay in long enough. And that's not the case for prediction markets. Um, in a way, you even have a utility cost because uh, you, could be use, you could be using the money to do something else that is actually um, yield bearing. So what I think is going to happen is um, that we will see the emergence of um, information attached to assets. So basically, um, that means you don't use fiat as the underlying. You actually use, for instance, a stock. Okay, so you use, a, say, a Tesla stock as the underlying, and then you have a prediction market on it um, about, say, Elon Musk still being the CEO at the end of this year. Okay. And then if this is true, you get um, the stock. If it's not true, you don't get the stock, but you only pay, <laughs> you, you, you only, <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, it, it works exact, exactly like prediction markets um, uh, work, but you can, um, you can enunciate very clearly what the value of something um, is. So basically, if you think a Tesla stock would be worth more if Elon Musk is the CEO, um, then clearly you would, th that would trade as uh, at more than the um, stock where Elon Musk is not CEO. So basically, it's a way of kind of pricing in the information about the tradable things themselves that we currently don't have. And you have no way to actually make money on these beliefs or this information. Um, yeah, and I think that's a way in which uh, prediction markets, markets will definitely come. And we actually also see um, the emergence of regulated stock tokens issuers, such as Backed Finance, um, that is launching this month on Gnosis Chain and uh, Ethereum, uh, where you can buy actual um, tokenized stock. And then obviously you can put it as an underlying in the prediction market because other frameworks are out there. So yeah, I think this will definitely come. It will require some sort of paradigm shift because you currently don't think in those terms, but the vanilla prediction markets where basically you ask, will Trump run again for president in 2024 and win? Um, those I fear will remain niche. Next up, Liam Kelly, our DeFi guy. Uh, I hope you subscribe to the Decrypting DeFi email newsletter that Liam writes. He says, hi, Frederica. Crypto Twitter has been awash with different takes about so-called account abstraction. As one of the pioneers working on this, could you explain what exactly account abstraction is 
and why it matters to everyday users. That is something we discussed on the pod with Frederica. It's something a lot of people are working on. And put much more simply, it's the idea of having wallets be private by default. Let's hear what Frederica said about it. Absolutely. So, so account protection, in essence, just means that every account by default is a smart contract account and not an externally owned address. So an externally owned address is something that we know, for instance, from MetaMask. Um, it just is a public-private key pair um, that lets you key, uh, hold assets and kind of sign transactions and so on. A smart contract account can, in principle, do exactly the same thing. It's just that the um, key that actually signs for the account can be rotated or swapped out. So basically, if you have keys A and B and C, and you require one signature for that smart contract account as a threshold, either account A or account B or account C can sign for this transaction. It's great, for instance, when you work together with teams. You can also do a threshold. So basically, you can do um, two out of three or four out of five. And then um, you can use it, for instance, for storage for your, your you know, all your assets, and you can distribute the, the five keys over different locations. You can have things like social recovery. You can have things like third party um, custodians who kind of can help you back up your keys and so on. Um, it just makes everything a lot more um, modular and customizable. But at its core, account abstraction is just the idea that your identity or your account is not attached to a single key, but that that key can be switched out just like the keys for your house can be switched out if you kind of t take out the key cylinder and put in another one. Um, and basically, I mean, obviously software is much more pliable than real world uh, examples. So basically it's kind of the example, in that example, kind of you would be able to kind of configure, configure your door such that it would take three keys or, and you need two to unlock it and you could distribute them um, among your friends and so on. Okay, next up, Matthew asked, how does Gnosis DAO maintain its level of decentralization? And what advice would you give to DAOs starting out that want to be as decentralized as possible? Of course, that's a big question. Uh, every DAO wants to be decentralized, but when it first starts, it can't be decentralized because some human or humans had to create it, of course. So usually what they say is we're progressively decentralizing. Uh, quick plug, we also discussed this very topic with our latest full-length GM guest, Kevin Owaki of Gitcoin. But here's what Frederica said about decentralizing your DAO. How does Gnosis uh, maintain its level of decentralization? I think there's several um, layers to this. So one of, one of them is token distribution, right? You want to make sure that no single person has too much voting power in the DAO. The second one is... Um, who runs validator, right? So you don't want validator concentrations to surge. You kind of want a nicely decentralized network of kind of validators that kind of run the chain. And I think those um, are optimized in slightly different ways. So one obviously is the initial token distribution, right? You kind of, you need to make sure that there is sufficient decentralization in the initial distribution. Um, so we did a token sale back in 2017. Obviously, they they have gone somewhat out of vogue. Um, so currently, what people do is they do like a community drop um, based on previous uh, previous behavior and so on. It's an ongoing question, right? So basically, 
um, how do you <laughs> stop recentralization from happening? Yeah, I think one, one point is kind of just being mindful of it and kind of monitoring this. In, uh, basically, when you have a DAO that just starts out, usually it's not as decentralized as you want it to be, right? Most DAOs kind of start out as multi-sigs and um, kind of to help you become as decentralized as you want to be, we've built this um, suite of tools named Zodiac um, that kind of upgrade your multi-sig to a DAO bit by bit. So basically it lets you introduce different owners that can do different things. Um, you can kind of modify permissions by signer and so on. Um, you can have a safe snap integration. So that's off-chain voting with automatic on-chain execution. So you have true token holder governance and so on. But yeah, it's there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of thought has gone into this. But if you kind of if you're setting up a DAO now, I would advise you to 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 check out the um, Zodiac's um, tool suite. It's based on um, the Gnosis Safe, and it kind of it um, makes it as easy as is, as is currently possible to kind of decentralize from there. Next up, Stephen Graves said, what's your view on SEC Chairman Gary Gensler's hints that proof of stake tokens could be considered securities? Is the current legal framework really built to cope with the novel structures of Web3? Of course, this is a huge topic that we discuss with almost every guest. It affects everyone in crypto. And if you ask me, it seems to me that Gary thinks not just proof of stake tokens, but basically everything he sees in crypto other than Bitcoin looks like a security to him, which might not be great for crypto projects to navigate. Here's what Frederica said. Yeah, I'm not based in the U.S., so I say this as a non-U.S. citizen or resident, um, but it seems like the SEC currently is out for war to a certain extent. <laughs> um, they, it used, it se used to seem like they were going after projects that were actually scammy. And I think this has somewhat shifted in the past months. And it is very concerning, especially, especially the way that they have gone after staking projects. Because in a way, what you're doing is you're almost saying you can speculate all you want just don't contribute to the network. And I think that's a really weird message to send. But then again, not an American. Next question. Someone said, some Bitcoin maxis argue that proof of stake chains will inevitably trend towards centralization. Can proof of stake really be truly decentralized? Ah, this is an interesting question. Um, so can proof of stake systems ever be as decentralized as proof of work systems, absolutely. And I think if if you think about it, um, the economies of scale are way larger for proof of work systems, right? So we see if you have to run the entire infrastructure, running it for a couple more Bitcoin or basically Ethereum and Ethereum one, this is super easy. But um, for proof of stake, um, you kind of actually have this, the actual um, computational overhead requirement. It's pretty low, which kind of reduces the economies of scale significantly. We see that this is not enough. Um, so basically, if you look at Ethereum, like a couple of, couple of entities 
um, have in excess of 50% of the market. So um, Lido, so um, liquid staking, and um, the large exchanges have like 60%. And that's obviously not ideal. But I think in principle, we, we all know this, that the economies of scale are way less in um, proof of stake than they are in proof of work. So it's funny that this seems to be a narrative in the Bitcoin community, and I'm not quite sure why. So if you want to follow up um, with a response, super happy to kind of uh, reply to this again. Okay, Jason Nelson, one of our reporters who's now focused on AI, the AI beat, asked, with AI going mainstream, what do you think the effect will be on blockchains, cryptocurrencies, and DAOs? Is AI a benefit or a threat? Yeah, AI is a very fascinating topic. Unfortunately, I'm not a big expert on AIs. I'd love to be. I think it's something that is an orthogonal um, development to blockchain. So there's not all that much natural overlap, except for when it actually comes to training um, AI models, because it costs like on the order of several million dollars to actually train one AI model. And obviously here, blockchains and kind of decentralized um, trust institutions can help by um, kind of crowdfunding such a model and kind of giving the rewards trustlessly to the people who funded it. Because otherwise, it's just kind of, it's a very gatekeeping requirement to have to spend several million dollars upfront on a model that you can then sell afterwards or give people usage of. Um, there's a couple of projects that that currently do this. Um, so Jensen AI is one of them. Um, super interesting stuff. Next up, Andre Bogansky, another Decrypt reporter. He said, do you think prediction markets should be considered a public good in Web3? I don't actually think I agree with the premise that prediction markets are not common goods on public goods in Web3. Um, because, I mean, there are frameworks out there that just let you build prediction markets, they don't necessarily have a good UI. So we, we, we built the conditional token um, framework. You can Google the documentation and you can set up your own prediction market in 10 minutes. It's not a problem at all. So yeah, in a, in a way it is a public good. It's currently not used as much um, as people thought a couple of years ago. I remember a CoinDesk uh, survey where people kind of had to indicate what they were most most excited about in Web3 sometime back in 2017 or 2018 and like 80% said <laughs> prediction markets and obviously lots of things happened and prediction markets did not happen in a big way but in principle yeah absolutely it is it is a uh, it's a common good uh, people can people can just use it if they choose to do so Okay, next up, I slipped a question in. I said, here's a fun cue we didn't get to on the podcast. Do you agree that Gnosis doesn't really have a figure who is the face of it? And is that by design? Like Ethereum has Vitalik, Solana has Anatoly, Avalanche has Gun and John Wu, Uniswap has Hayden. All these big projects, even if they're decentralized, they all have one person they're most associated with. Gnosis has avoided that. Here's what Friederica said. Yeah, I think that is the case. I think there's no one face for Gnosis. And it's not really... It wasn't initially by design. I think we were just not as interested in the media exposure. We're not, we were not in, in it for the fame. We still aren't. We just want to build cool stuff. 
And I think this is, this is kind of where this started. I'm actually quite happy about this now. I think having someone who gets up on all the stages and who's clearly the face, obviously that has um, a large marketing potential because, you know, there's just the recognizability and everything. We never really had that as much. I mean, Martin, Stefan and I, we are relatively well known in the OG circles of Ethereum, but yeah, that's a small circle, right? Um, but I think for a truly decentralized and open network, you don't really want to have a figurehead, right? I mean, and this is also what, um, what the Bitcoiners are often um, criticizing about Ethereum, that they think kind of Vitalik kind of, you know, calls the, sh uh, the shots and pulls the strings and so on, despite the fact that's not actually the case. This is still the public perception and this is a really difficult perception to get rid of. So yeah, I'm happy there's not like one figurehead for Gnosis. And finally, Andrew Hayward said, after all these years building in the crypto industry and seeing its ups and downs, what excites you today about the current crypto landscape and the possibilities ahead? Here's what Frederica said. I, I got into crypto for the technology. I just thought it was so cool that you could build these things trustlessly in networks and so on. This has kind of shifted over the years. I still think it's super cool, but now I'm most excited about actual mass adoption. So basically taking this mainstream and building things that a normies can use and b that are actually legitimately strictly better than what web 2 currently has to offer and i think this to me is the next milestone and this is really where i want to get in the very near future so this is what excites me that's what's dri what drives me Alrighty. Well, that was the AMA with Friederike Ernst of Gnosis. A lot going on there. She is definitely an OG and a brilliant person. Great guest. Hope you will keep it locked with us. GM from Decrypt. Keep listening. More great guests to come. And join that Telegram room, why don't you? You can get your question asked and answered by our next guest. Hoping that Kevin Owaki is going to do an AMA real soon. Thanks for listening. Hop in that Telegram room. We'll see you on the airwaves. GM. GM.